Causing the Effect, a podcast focused on the exploration of your mind, body, and spirit. Mr. John Deloney. Oh, I nailed that, John. Uh, how you do? Dude. How you doing, brother? You What's going on? <laughs> I'm good, man. You doing all right? I'm good, brother. I'm good. Uh, I've been hyped up, causing the effect community to talk to to John. John's an author, speaker, doctor. I don't know what didn't you do yet. Um, we're gonna talk about this. I suggest checking out um, own <laughs> your past. Da- I didn't date very much, man. I had too much going on. I was kind of lame. <laughs> <laughs> like I don't have a lot of friends, so I got that. I did go to I went to a lot of grad school, but I don't have I don't have a lot of friends, man. Well, you were you were born and raised in Texas? Yes, sir. Houston. Now, do you think that kind of implemented part of this, let's say the Lone Ranger mentality, uh oh, sure. kind of that push through mentality of like I can figure everything out if I just keep going. Yeah, I mean my dad was a homicide detective and a SWAT hostage negotiator. So I grew up with like this is what this is what being a stud looks like. Um, and uh, yeah, I mean, I, 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 had, I just I had a pretty remarkable childhood, to be honest with you. But yes, there were some very clear Texas lessons. There's some very clear dad's a cop lessons There's that you just pick up along the way. Okay. And okay. So, John, that's interesting. So, the I grew up in the opposite of it. My dad um, is in the witness protection program now. When I was six, he disappeared. We didn't know what happened. I found this whole thing out. My grandfather got out of jail three years ago, told me the whole thing. And he said, your father is the one who put me in jail because they were working together. He ratted on his own dad. So just very. Yeah. But still same situation. I had the the Italian. (laughs) Dude, that is not the same situation, but well, it's the same. I could tell the emotional thing of being the Texas dad may have been like just, you know, if you're feeling something or you're a little emotional, push that to the side and just keep kind of plowing through. Am I am I accurate with that? Um. Women and very, very small kids have feelings. <laughs> Everybody else needs to suck it up and move on. Yeah. So, yes, absolutely. My mother is still telling me that. She's like, I don't know what you're talking about with all this psychology <laughs> stuff. Just do it. Just do your stuff. But Just do it. How do you think that mentality uh, on the more the emotional side and, and more the relationship side affected you um, moving forward in, into that? Those kind of becoming a man stages. I, I think it's a it's a hundred percent denial of human biology of human physiology right it's just a denial of reality um i it's like being in an abusive relationship and just pretending you're not being abused like you can do that and you can stay in that relationship and keep living there but your body knows man and the bruises show up and the broken bones show up and so um we've just created a narrative for ourselves that it's you know either all you hold on I think it's an understandable response to the other ethos that we've been given, which is all we are is just this mass of feelings. And you get to invent your truth as you walk through the day and how you feel. And if you don't feel like doing it, you just don't do it. You tell that boss, I don't feel like working for you anymore. That's a denial of reality too, right? And so I get that you hit the pendulum and we create this super group of people that men like to believe they were for a time, which is we will never have feelings. We'll just go crush and kill and do it and do it. And I think that was an exaggeration of reality. And so now you've got these two polar opposites. One is 
it's all feelings and the other is it's no feelings. And, um, man, I, I, I don't know whether you're born in Texas, born in Brooklyn, wherever you're born. I don't know, man, that's my age, that's your age. That's not wrestling with some form of who in the world am I now? Who am I allowed to be? Who am I supposed to be? And juxtaposing that with how I actually feel in reality on the inside. Right. Yeah. No. And that's, uh, it's a mess. Really, it's a yeah. mess. And, and those stories we tell ourselves are just so, Dude. That's really, you know, everything John is talking about in the book. The first half of it is, is story, story, story. And yeah. I know the biggest story was the one you tell our, uh, the one you tell yourself. Um, how would you, at a high level, walk through? I know there's the five step process, but how would you walk somebody through the process of of connecting reality and your feelings? That not only do we have this an internal kind of incongruence, but in the world we're living in, there's more incongruence. One person's living in this reality, another person's living in another. It's a little crazy. Yeah, it's a madhouse, man. Yeah, uh, so uh, ask me the question again. Yeah, sure. Just how would you kind of coach a person that says, you know, I'm at this point, John, I'm young. I kind of I understand there's an incongruence. How do I get through this? Um, stop trying to be something someone else wants you to be or stop trying to be a, a fictional fantasy version of what you think you are. And you got to ask yourself one of the most terrifying questions any person can ask themselves, which is what do I actually want and what do I actually need? And we don't ask those questions, man. We ask ourselves things like, how do I go get, um, how do I get, how do I get, how can I get them to, how can I look like, and all those questions are hollow, man. They're just treadmill questions. Instead of asking yourself, what do I actually want? I, I was, um, if you had met me four years ago and said, what are you put on earth to do? I would have told you to be a college president since I was 26. And I got hired way, way over my head at a university, at a, at a leadership position. I was given a great gift. Um, it has been a breakneck race to become a college president. And here's what happened to me over the course of a decade. I got close enough and had became friends with enough college presidents that I realized I would love that job. I don't want that life. And I, that part of the equation never occurred to me. I wanted their paycheck. I wanted the cars they drove. I wanted the clothes they wore. I wanted the, their houses were incredible. I wanted that. But it wasn't until I got close enough to the reality of it all that I realized I don't want that life. And a lot of us want six-figure jobs. We want to crush it over here and to kill it over here and to get this car. And we don't have a reality. We don't fully understand what it means to have that life. It was a great wake-up call for me when I realized, oh, that guy earns all six figures. His life is terrible, man. He never sleeps. He's got people hollering at him all the time. And so it's reconciling. What do you actually want? Are you willing to put in the work to go get it? And do you have the courage and the bravery and the community around you that will speak truth to you when you get close to it and you realize that's not what you want, right? Absolutely. And I think that's that question, what do you want? It's such a hard one to get down to on your own because you have a bunch of other people, the world, society, telling you what yeah. you should want. For me, it was my mother saying, you know, by the time you're 25, be a millionaire, marry the, the pretty Italian girl and have the house. And I did that. And I started having a nervous breakdown. I started getting ultras. I'm like, this doesn't, <laughs> this doesn't feel right, Ma. I don't know what I did. And I think, you know, how would you, how, how did you get to that point of it? Because is it just you have to kind of do the things that you think you want and then you do them? You're like, I don't like this. And then, then retract. How do you figure out what you want? In, in counseling, we call it uh, 
the the curse of accomplishing all of your dreams because the worst part about getting that house and that new wife and that new kid and that new job is that you go with you yeah. right you you get all that stuff and the day after closing you wake up and your new bed and you kind of are unsettled you don't really know where you are and you but you're in your new house and you stumble into your new bathroom and you turn your new bathroom lights and then it's just your stupid face looking in the mirror and you went with you right to all six thousand square feet and we don't have a psychology for that because we've our culture is entirely shaped by one, one loud neon sign. Your happiness is out there. You got to go get it. And that's exactly backwards. We wrote that into our founding documents, right? The pursuit of happiness as though it's somewhere else. You can go get it. You can go earn it. You can go achieve it. And it doesn't work like that. It works from the inside out. I've got to make choices internally and in my tiny little circle of influence to find joy and to find peace and then go out and do my job, not the other way around. Mm, that's a very, that's a very Buddhist philosophy. Of your kind time. of is, right? I, is, but to, to, to answer your, um, the broader question, this is a not very sexy thing and it's, it's probably not a politically correct thing, but I think on some level people have to fail. You got to get hit in the mouth. I think you have to realize, oh, I've got an end to how far I can, push this machine like as an if an end and i have to reconcile with what that means that means i gotta ask for help that means i gotta say i'm uncomfortable i don't like this i need some support i need i need i i, I want and those are just not in our psychology until it has to be yeah no and i think people who listen to these types of podcasts or read your kind of books they want something that's a little more and like how you said before you have to think about this if you want to be unique if you want to be different sometimes that means you're going to be more lonely sometimes you're going to have to be a little weirder and be a little outside the box I get to bro see you're going to be you know? so lonely so mm -hmm. I, I i have a coach that i work with and i was um i i, I did a i've been traveling the country talking about loneliness especially with leaders and business owners and i talked about that behind closed doors and dude, I'm the loneliest guy I know. And I was talking to my coach about it. And he basically, in a nice, loving way, was like, I don't want to, like, aw, you picked a very lonely job. You're a weird guy. You're saying weird things out in the world. And you're doing, like, that's what you've asked. I mean, you've walked into this world. And so, A, you've got to find ways to, to make community, to, to be a part of a community in that madness. And B, this is the life you chose. And so that's, those are stark, truthful words, right? Yes. And I think that's what comes back to what you were discussing. Like at black implies white. There's always another side to it. Like I, I'm lucky enough to deal with these billionaires and a lot of them are, say, are the types of guys that we're talking about. You don't realize how much you give up. I wish I would have been in my son's first baseball game. I wish I would have, you know, made it to Thanksgiving instead of being on the private jet. And when you hear that, I, I think part of that is what started turning because you think you want, in the Western culture, it's so focused on money and power and getting and going and going that I feel like we need these other soft sciences to kind of be able to catch up to the technology of today to say, no, it's, it's, in, it's internal. It's you, you have everything you need. That's what, that's what um, the monks would say. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and that's, that's like, I, I want there to be some reality to it. Cause I spent a lot of my career working with folks who had very, very little. I like making money. And sure. I like not worrying about like my kids have health insurance and I got a house and I've got cars that I don't owe any money on. So I, those things are really important when it comes to overall life safety and security and a feeling of whew, I can exhale. They help find peace, but they don't bring happy. 
right? They don't, they don't, um, they don't solve. There's no car I can buy that can take back some of the things that my dad may have said. There's no job I can get to where I'll finally be able to overcome that thing granddad said. That's not how that works. How do you balance this, the, the two sides of the coin of this, I need to hit goals, I want to keep going and keep growing, but also being aware of this, I'm tr- if I keep trying to fill things in the material world, it's kind of trying to quench, your, you know, quench the thirst with salt water in a way. Yeah, uh, great question. So um, coming out of me collapsing, like just getting just getting crushed with anxiety. Cracks. I, I didn't know what it was, man. And talk about feeling like a loser. Like just what a baby, man. Get over yourself. You're anxious. It just buried me, man. Coming out of that um, and then almost blowing my marriage up and having a kid. We tried to have kids for a long time, couldn't have kids. And then suddenly my son, Hank, pops up and he's like navigating all of those things um, made me realize a my worth and value is much more in a husband and a father than it is as an employee the second thing is is when i truly anchored into that my role there it allowed me to be wild and reckless in pursuit of my professional goals because i was actually tethered into something so i could go be maniacal about trying to be successful here i went and got a second phd i my, my salary is completely different than it was. All those things are possible because I flipped the script that I had been chasing for so long, which is try to run out of here with no gas. Try to just crank the crap out of this motor on this boat with no gas in the engine. That's dumb. So it's, re, it's reinverting this thing. I, people, the, the criticism I get across the country is I'm, I'm telling people to quit their jobs, and I'm not. Telling people to not go be ambitious. That's, that's the opposite of what I'm saying. What I want people to know is that billion dollars isn't going to make you feel better. What will make you feel better is your wife and kids. What will make you feel better is people who love you and people who got your back. That weekly poker game or that weekly group of guys that y'all read books together and talk trash and half of them vote differently than the other half. That will give you gas. Going to church at a church with a group of people you care about, that will give you gas in your engine. And then, bro, you can go make as you can go change the world. And I got two little kids. I need a bunch of people to go change the world because it's a dumpster fire. But I want them to do it not in pursuit of trying to make themselves feel better, but in pursuit of now we can go do real good hard work because I'm anchored into something that matters. And I, yeah, and I agree with everything. And I think the the misconception here is people try to chase pleasure or happiness, and you know that should more come as a byproduct of this overarching goal that you have or vision of almost suffering in a way or uncomfortability, whatever world you want to call it. Um, I think that's the key. What do you think? Yeah, that's the root of that's, that's where the word passion comes from suffering, right? What are you mm-hmm. willing to suffer for? And yeah, we've got a culture addicted. It's like cocaine and cotton candy, man. We, we are obsessed with happy and it just moves, man. It just moves and moves. You can't catch that. So it's a, it's a, it's a wisp. It, happiness should be, it, that's just a stupid goal. It's a stupid goal to chase happy. It's just dumb. Um, here's the example I'll give most often. Um, when my granddad was 93 or 94, he, he had the, what I call life's great honor and privilege. He, had, he was married 72 years, World War II vet, stud of a man, a quiet engineer. And then he had four kids. And then one day when he's 93, 94, something like that, he stood up to go to the other room and he got the eternal privilege to fall down dead. He stood up and just died. 
Um, no cancers, no long hospital stays, no Alzheimer's. He just got to head out. And at his funeral, somebody hugged me and they were being kind and lovely. And they said, oh, oh, I'm sorry. What, what a tragic loss. And I knew what they were trying to say, but it, it wasn't a tragedy. It wasn't a bug in the system. This, is ex this was a life well lived. My granddad won. And while they were playing taps, he's, you know, he's an old veteran and they were playing taps and everybody was crying and sad. Um, they were putting roses on his casket. And my son at the time was three or four. He broke away from us. He escaped. And he climbed up on the casket and grabbed a rose and set it up there. And it was this poignant moment. I was standing by my dad. There was four generations of Deloney wow. men right there. And listen, it was sad as bloody hell. And I was at, it was deep joy because it was right. And there's a big difference between chasing joy and chasing happy. If I had been chasing happy, I would have got stoned to get through that funeral. And then I would have got stoned to get through the dinner with my family after that. Right. I could chase happy. And I'm going to miss all of the good, right stuff, right? So nobody wants to be at a funeral. Nobody wants to see that. I don't want my kid climbing on caskets. And it was right. It was good. Does that make sense of the difference? I'm with you. I, I think um, being the person that others can lean on in, in the times of trouble is the kind of person I want to be after somebody passed away. Obviously, you're, you feel bad and you sorrow and you feel that. But being kind of the rock or the stone is I hope I could be that that kind of man, I'm sure. You know, I think that's maybe taboo. I think, you know, it's funny. You, you, before your book, I was reading Ernest Becker's Denial of Death. Then I read Victor Frankl's Man's Search for Meaning. And then your book. I was like, oh, this is like a perfect, like, dude, you know, bro, you, can't, you, can't, you can't put me in those two guys. Dude, camp, it just kind of happened. I got the book and I was just reading it through. Um, and <laughs> It's like, I was listening to Metallica. Then I went to Pantera. Then I went to your <laughs> band, bro. Like, dude, you can't do that. Those two books are legendary. Those <laughs> no, two men man. are extraordinary men, man. It, it it hit this hit the spot because you you're not sugarcoating anything and you're calling out everybody yeah. for their bullshit and I guess from your perspective even for this future generation for your kids generation how does not me I'm, I'm probably a little over the hill at this point but how does how do we change these issues that we see whether it be with the commercialization of the of the sugar industry whether it be the taboo of death whether it be social media issues because um, this stuff worries me not not, you know, material more, the, more, where's our consciousness going? Cause I, you know, yeah. inattentiveness focus, these things are very ho-hum in today's society. Yeah. I, I, the, the number one recommendation I give to young people is turn your screens off um, and live in reality. And that means you have to, you have to, um, and go outside. Um, we have just disconnected ourselves from like things like weather and things like heat and things like cold and things like discomfort <laughs> Um, there's an ex a remarkable book that came out recently by um, a, a colleague named Michael Easter. Um, the book is called The Comfort Crisis. It's a masterpiece, but um, I think every young person should read that book. I finished it and immediately handed it to my 12-year-old son, and I blacked out some of, the, some of the words in there. He's not quite ready for that, but I handed it to him and said, you're going to read this too. And then we went to breakfast a few weeks in a row and talked about it. Um, but it's intentionally seeking out hard things to do have hard conversations make yourself we've lost the skill set of discomfort and so now i need a generation of young people to intentionally seek it out and practice it and learn how to do it um, learn how to be uncomfortable and if you can learn how to be uncomfortable that combined with the technological prowess of our age we can solve some of these big big problems 
But if the goal, we use technology simply to be less uncomfortable, we're going to end up like that uh, Pixar movie, dude, where we're just all 800 pounds and we got tubes hanging out of us and we just roll around everywhere because we have, uh, while the world keeps spinning underneath us, man. Um, and so turn the screens off and unplug into real life. It, it, listen, it is way, way easier to just dial in a website and find any video of any woman doing anything on planet earth you could imagine. It is way harder to sit in a movie theater and burn half the movie trying to get the courage to hold somebody's hand. That's what we need. Or that courage, like where you are, you, you are not paying attention to anything in dinner because you're like, oh, am I going to kiss her? Am I going to kiss her? How am I going to do it? Is my breath weird? Right. <laughs> I need that. I need people focusing on that level of discomfort, learning how to be human again. Right. Not just skipping all the discomfort and going home and watching some fantasy on TV. Turn it off, man, and go be outside. Yeah, there's something about just getting these reps in too. Like it's reps, you know? it's reps, it's reps, it's reps. Yes, yes, yes. That's it. Like I don't know how many reps you had getting in, getting <laughs> in as a kid. I I had a lot of failures before we ended up, you know, really figured it out. Listen, um, I'm not I'm not a catch. I'm not a catch. I thought I was a smoke show, dude. I'm not. I'm not. I was a dork, man. Texas, dude, I would say you're, you're, you're a New York nine or 10 over here, man. That's high. Those yeah, are high numbers. That's, that's a Texas four, Texas four and a half. I'm just kidding. <laughs> no, I mean, I, I, I just, I'm not cool. I, I'm just, I'm a, a nerd, man. Like I, I, I had to make a rule this year. Like whenever I go all these cool cities and I go to these cool places and I just sit in my hotel and read books. I made a rule this year from starting from this summer through the fall. I got to get a tattoo in every city I go to just so I can go meet random new cool people. And dude, it's been life-giving. I've met the funniest people. I've met guys I probably never want to see ever again. It's just been awesome. So, um, but again, I'm practicing being uncomfortable because my comfort zone is a book and data and a bunch of nerdy stuff. And that's not a life, man. That's not a life. And I've got a great privilege. I'm, I'm living in this little weird sliver of my life. Uh, at some point, I get fired from all this. Let's be honest. And but I'm I'm missing. Uh, how, what a tragedy! If I've gone to all these cool places and I read books, that's dumb. Go read books in my living room. I need to go out and be a part of these cities. And I I say the same thing. If you were born in Kansas in 2022, if I mean if you're living in Kansas 2022, you've got more access to more stuff than any human who's ever lived ever 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 ever. Take advantage of it. Get off the stupid computer. Quit scrolling on stuff. Quit looking at imaginary girls on computer. Go be with real people. And the whole thing changes if we can do that. Uh, yeah, I think taking a shift from this victim kind of mentality that that the West has, United States in particular, and just trying to take on as much responsibility as possible, particularly as a man, and, and like owning whatever you you visualize to be the highest intent of your good, go, going out there and pursuing it. I guess that's a question for you, John, because that, that's the issue I, I'll see. A bunch of brainiacs. They're reading these books and they're getting a bunch of knowledge. How do you turn that knowledge into wisdom by taking action? How, how would you get somebody up out of the fucking couch and be able to start moving? Get up off the couch and start moving. Yeah. <laughs> like, you know, even put the books down. Um, it's a weird, I, it's so funny, dude. I find myself toggling. I'll be talking to one group and I'm like, guys, y'all have to read. There are other opinions on things. And they're like, no, no, no. And then I'll go to another group and be like, you nerds have to put the book down. And this, it's my, this is me. <laughs> this is my tribe. I'm like, guys, we got to go out and kiss girl. Like, you got to go out and, like, build a garden, my friend. You need to go hunting for the first time, right? So it's both and. It's really finding what makes me most uncomfortable in the world and leaning into that. Um, 
there is no wisdom, period, without peer refinement. And there is no wisdom, period, without personal experience. It doesn't exist. You can learn a lot about something. So um, the great C.S. Lewis didn't write about grief until his wife died. And he had a group of people that he met with at a bar every single week for years. And they wrote together and they challenged each other and they pushed on each other. That's wisdom. Wisdom isn't just watching a YouTube video or reading a bunch of books on self-help. Um, wisdom is going out and sitting with hurting people. I think um, I heard one guy say, we are a generation of people who are overexposed and underexperienced. And I think that's brilliant. We've seen a hundred thousand acts of sexuality on TV and we've never held hands. Um, I think last I read, we're having the least amount of sex in recorded human history right now. Um, we have seen a million deaths on TV, but our parents didn't let us go to our granddad's funeral. And so we've never been in the room with a dead body. We've never been in the room with that grief and that hurt and that pain. So we've got a lot of book knowledge. We just, or we've got a lot of visual stuff. We've just disconnected from reality and we've got to insert ourselves back into reality. Oh my God. John, my last question for you, um, with the, with success, we can keep going for a few more minutes. We can keep yeah, going. Sure, man. Sure. Okay. Um, for, for this, overarching mission or vision what is your why that keeps getting you up that gets you going because i feel like the motivational videos all this shit people it's all short-lived you need to have that why that that's what picks you up when you're out in the mud how you were with that with the looking at the cracks in the foundation (laughs) (laughs) oh man um i think i've got a couple of whys um that one of them is atonement one of them is I want to be, I want to make the world better than I contributed to it being negative in the first place. Mm-hmm. Um, that's never a good why. That's usually like a, uh, like a, that's like primer on a paint job. It doesn't get you a good fi- finished product. It does cover up the mess, but it doesn't solve the problem. Um, atonement is one. Also, I've got two little kids, man. And the world's a mess and I can do one of two things. I can sit and make angry Facebook posts about it and join the PTA and gossip a lot. Or I can climb into the ring and just start swinging as hard as I can. And the chances of me pulling off some sort of miracle solution is very, very small. But I feel a, I feel compelled as a why to be able to sit down and look at, and give a picture of my kid to my kids. This is what it looks like getting in the ring and giving it a shot. And by the way, like my YouTube show, my radio show, that's not getting in the ring. Writing books isn't getting in the ring. Getting in the ring is them seeing how I treat a waitress. And I make sure my son knows how much we tip because that woman is making $2 and 14 cents an hour. And nobody wants to be working the 10 o'clock shift here at Denny's. And so you and I are out here having fun while mom's out of town. She's working so her kids can eat and she hasn't seen her kids. We're going to tip her so wildly because that's going to pay for her electric. Like, so that's, we're going to pick up trash in the bathroom that we didn't drop. My daughter's going to say thank you and yes, sir, to somebody. My son's going to say thank you and yes, sir. So that's them seeing me get into the ring. They're going to see a man treat his wife with dignity and respect and kindness. And that's not just going to be a bunch of words. That's going to be, I put my phone down and help my wife with the dishes or I mowed the yard, whatever the things are. Right. So, 
Um, and then one day when they're old enough to see these interviews or to read the books, hopefully they're able to see some congruence between the dad they knew and the dad that ran the, his mouth. Um, and hopefully the third why is, man, some guy listens to this, some woman listens, and they feel this much, a tiny bit less alone. Because yep. them too. Because me too. Because them too. Because them too. And if we can get enough people going, oh, I'm not, oh, okay, I'm not crazy. You're not crazy. Then we can all put down our guard, stop swinging at each other, and try to start solving some of these problems. And by the way, the problems we have to solve, ironically, aren't hard. We yeah. have made them such a zoo, man. I mean, think about a thousand years ago, what kind of problems those guys were trying to solve survival Dude. and getting by a tiger. This is easy. Got a little anxiety. I mean, we've got the brain power. We've got the, the technology. We've got the wealth. It's just a matter of people putting their egos down and saying, I'm in or if you're in. For sure. Dude. Yeah. What about, what, hey, so, hey, before you yeah. get off, tell me about you. What are you working through right now? You take honestly this this year I've been. um. I, I crushed it after COVID because I got divorced and I've got this macho vengeance thing of New York City and everything was easy. COVID's easy. And this year comes, I'm like, oh, I'm going to just, you know, double my, my my net worth. That's what I did the year before. <laughs> and all of a sudden, you know, my Boom. mother. Yeah, easy. Not, what's the worst that's going to happen? I was telling uh, John, everybody knows what happened earlier with the mugging. But even in the beginning, my mother gets cancer. Um, you know, it's just a, a couple different things that I would say have frozen me a little bit yeah. to – to, to move where I'm usually like, I'm all, I'm all charged. And it, it was weird with the, the mugging happening. I, I, everybody kind of knows that story, but like it, it reminded me like, Oh, you're more resilient than I thought. You're more powerful than I thought you got to get back on and start taking action. I would say the big thing, John is, is getting on stage and, and doing and uh, speaking to people that gotcha. was like my life goal. And um, I had a, Bad thing, a stage fright. I promised myself in 2020 I would do stand-up comedy. Did that, crushed it, got a development yeah. deal, started doing that shit. Dope. And then this year it just kind of fell off. And it's just like, I would say I, I've been I've been in the books too much like you. I've been okay. dorking it out too much. Excellent. Yeah. Uh, I'm going to challenge you on one thing. Is that cool? Yeah, man, please. Um, one of the things that we are terrible, and I, I ended up putting a whole chapter about it in that book you're talking about, is we are terrible as a culture of sitting down and exhaling and acknowledging grief. And there will come a moment in some future future adventure when you're walking into a hotel room, as you start to get closer, you're going to be holding somebody's hand and you're going to feel yourself squeezing a little bit tighter. Or you're going to feel your heart rate going up a little bit as you turn a corner. And that's our bodies, right? Our brains are threat detection systems and prediction machines. And it remembers that story of the time you were walking in, in front of a hotel and just got blindsided. Someone, someone almost took everything, boom, like that. Mm -hmm. And that guy's got a knife instead of a fist. And you and I aren't even talking anymore. Right. Um, or mom is awesome. Mom is awesome. Mom is awesome. Hey, uh, Scott, I got to tell you something. I got cancer. Right. And so the idea of a life well lived, the idea of, of life, of, of how do we build a life worth living is always resting underneath this idea that mom's going to get sick and my wife is going to cheat on me and my son is going to fail a class in school and I'm going to blow a big business deal. Do I have the people in my life? Do I have the systems in my life that like my, my wellness, like exercise and work and all that? Do I have those things to sit on? Do I have a spiritual connection to sit on when those things hit? And so, man, I would spend a minute writing about like, you know what? I'm from freaking New York. I'm all right. That scared the absolute hell out of me. Like that could have gone bad. And there's something about owning that could have gone bad. My mom, she's going to fight it. She, we're fighters. We're from Brooklyn. 
I'm going to miss my mom. You know what I mean? It's being able to own both of those things. And being, then, dude, when you own that stuff, then your body's like, all right, we're well. Let's go get it. I think, and I would even add the divorce to that because I think you're so used to like how you were in before you went through your little breakthrough. Like, you just keep going. It's like, no, nothing hurts me. I'm powerful. I'm that tough, macho, watcho. Yeah, yeah. Um, no, man. Thank you for that advice. That That's, that's we have beautiful. a lot of divorce in our culture, man. And we forget that divorce is a trauma. It's heavy. It's the death of a whole bunch of plans. Like I chose you and you chose me. And now we're choosing not each. Like it's, we forget how heavy that is. Even when it's right, we forget how. Yeah. Heavy and I think that's part of what the, the, the getting hit, whatever kind of, it brought everybody back into my life. Cause I've been kind of on this lonely road. You're trying to, I'm trying to get the podcast going. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. And you're doing this by yourself. It's like, Oh, I need you guys. That's because <laughs> I got, I just needed people. I need just hey, to bro, be like, and, Hey, and they didn't get in Texas. Let's be honest. Uh, I asked a buddy, he was, he was a Marine. Um, he was like a frontline Marine. And he said, I was like, who's like the baddest dudes who like when y'all are, y'all are all Marines. Y'all are, he's like, I was like, who's the baddest dudes on deployment? And he looked at me, he goes, I don't know if this is true or not, is what he told me. He goes, everybody knows there's a group of guys from New York and a group of guys from Texas that are insane. And he goes, anytime someone's like, hey, we need, a, we need some guys to go out, they're all like, I'm in, I'm in. And, and he's like, these guys are crazy. And so I say that to tell you, you and I got basically the same handbook growing up, right? I, mine was on a horse, yours was like in a taxi, but basically yeah, we got the same, exactly. we got the same playbook. Nobody told us, hey, you need to get a, a, a group of guys to walk with you. You can't do this by yourself. Nobody told us that part. They left that part out. That was a chapter they skipped, and that chapter should have been the first chapter of that book. Right. You cannot do this by yourself. And you got to feel sick, and you're going to feel awful, and you're not going to feel like working out. you got to go anyway. Right? you got to go anyway. Get up and it's, go. It's both ends. Right? i got to mm. feel it, and then i got to go do it. And you got to have other people. Yeah, it's about that balance of – not only being and doing, but masculinity, feminine, feeling and doing, and just having both both sides. I think is the is yeah. The, there's the there's balance. a great great um, one of my favorite books of all time is a book called I Don't Want to Talk About It by Terrence Real, and uh, it's a book on male depression. I rolled my eyes. I was like, oh god, I don't want to read this book. What? And it was a it's a masterpiece. But he talks about going over to Africa and meeting with a tribe, and he's trying to get them to explain masculinity because he saw how. Uh, um, how much they were hugging their sons. These warriors were hugging their son, very affectionate with their, with their boys in a way that was almost uncomfortable. And he said, they was asking him like, how do you define masculinity? What's this and this, it, it, these are feminine traits and these are masculine traits. And they, he said, they finally understood he was asking. And they said, masculine isn't fe not feeling masculine. Isn't not loving masculine. Isn't not hugging. It's knowing the difference when to do which. There is a season for going to war. And there's also a season for every single morning of my life, I hold my son's face in my hands and I look him in the eye and say, I'm so glad I get to be your dad. I love you. And that boy is a knucklehead. He's 12. He's a maniac. He's a whatever. But he will never not know that his dad doesn't love him. Ever. Regardless of what happens, right? And so that happens every day. And then there's some days I got to step in and get between him and whatever decision he's making and, you know, and hold him accountable. Yeah, sure. But masculinity is knowing when to do both. It's not, not doing one of those things. Wow. Right. And that's what we have to learn as a culture, man. Wow. That's a really interesting way to look at it, dude. Wow. Oh my God. I'm going to, I got two, I got two book recommendations from, from John. Don't want to talk about it. Overcome the secret legacy by Terrence real. And then the comfort crisis, Michael East. 
John, thank you. Thank you so, so much. Um, everybody, awesome, check, dude, so are you. Check out his book. We're going to put in the notes below. Um, John Deloney, everybody. Uh, just appreciate you, man. Uh, Cause and the Effect community. Thank you guys so much. As always, stay safe, stay positive, stay blessed. We'll talk to you later. Bye-bye.